Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. You know, the major banks represent 47 million customers, which is, you know, twice the population of Australia. So uh, it's it's an enormous, they're enormous numbers and, you know, the, the majority of international uh, funds transactions that occur. So it's, it's a huge chunk of the Australian financial system. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today we have with us Andrew Ham. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Hi, Kwame. Very well. So uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. I mean, everybody should know who you are by now because of the AML networking group. But just in case, just in case people aren't part of our networking group or don't listen to our podcast. Absolutely. And shame on them. Yes. Um, my background, I suppose, is I've been a financial services lawyer for over 25 years now, and not that I like to count. Uh, currently, I'm a partner with Hunt and Hunt Lawyers in Melbourne, and um, I chair the AML discussion group, as you mentioned, which meets on the third or fourth Wednesday of the month uh, by teleconference. And... Um, I am, I guess, also involved in the uh, GRCI AML training courses, so, which are um, currently uh, lifting off. Excellent. So today we are going to talk about the four assessments that Oshar published, I would say, what, a good couple of weeks ago now, um, two, three weeks ago, maybe. Um, I should check the date. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's um, all COVID Groundhog Day, but um, it has yeah. been... Close to a month, I think. So I, I guess we should really start with, um, you know, why is the publication of these assessments significant and what were they of? Yes, thanks, Kwame. That's a good place to start. Uh, as people in the industry know, um, Austrac has been working on industry on these industry risk assessments for several years, really since about 2016, I think. Um, and they started small and covered some fairly um, esoteric things like traveller's checks uh, and um, have been progressively uh, ramping it up. So the um, launch of these four um, industry risk assessments for major Australian banks, the four majors, uh, then the other 12 domestic banks foreign subsidiary banks in Australia and foreign bank branches in Australia. Um, That work has really been going on for years now and it's been much anticipated um, and really just um, provides a snapshot of uh, what those industry looks, what those industries look like from an MLTF perspective. So their significance, I suppose, is that they're based on real hard subject matter report data that Austrac has collected, which is not generally available. And, uh, you know, for example, the major banks lodged, um, according to the risk assessment, uh, 175,000 SMRs, uh, which is by all measures, you know, the lion's share. Um, So that's excellent data. Um, And when you couple that with the insider understanding that the Fintel Alliance provides Austrac with uh, from the industry perspective, it makes for a very powerful um, analysis that 
that um, all all players in the in the AMLT uh, city of space can use. Um, I guess in particular the banking ones are useful because um, the banks just represent such a huge proportion of the financial system. You know the um, the major bank report sort of indicates that um, I think um, you know the major banks represent 47 million customers which is you know twice the population of Australia so um, it's it's an enormous they're enormous numbers and you know the, the majority of international uh, funds transactions that occur so it's it's a huge chunk of the Australian financial system um, I suppose the last thing that this is really useful for is to really show in a practical way how the risk we are talking about is the risk of money laundering or terrorism financing. It's not of a breach of the um, regulatory compliance requirements that the AMLCTF Act sets up. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit different to when we're talking about some of the other regulators like ASIC and APRA, uh, where it's really about a breach in compliance there. Um, yes, so um, it's a common confusion that um, work goes to, uh, um, common confusion that um, they are looking at another compliance breach framework. Um, it's actually not that predominantly. It's um, more about the AML CTF risks and um, the issue is not facilitating money laundering or terrorism financing. So, uh, you know, look, talking about those assessments and their significance, uh, the what would have been published a couple of weeks ago, would that have come as a surprise to anyone, um, anyone maybe within the industry, or was this something, information that industry probably suspected about itself anyways has been trying to rectify? Uh, it shouldn't have. Um, ideally, um, the information should be valuable as a benchmark and as validation of your um, current risk assessment um, rather than as a surprise. But um, of course, as in any industry, you know, there will be varying degrees of, um, you know, call it maturity, I suppose, across the industry. And um, I think, you know, one of the major um, values of uh, you know you know one of the major contributions that this work really will do is to give these industry players a um, it's an education it's an education thing so it'll give those people that perhaps are not on the same page as um, the most um, mature um, organisations you know it'll give them a, a, a basis for catching up. I'm reluctant to use the word mature because it sounds a bit um, judgmental, but it, it really is just, um, you know, this is an issue that, that um, as I, I say uh, very often, you know, it's an issue that um, takes a number of different skills. So it's not just legal, it's not just compliance. You know, there's a bit of risk in there. Um, you've got to be, um, you've got to have a number of different um, hats on in order to be a good AML compliance officer and um, that's quite a significant ask um, particularly if you're a small organization and you know resources particularly compliance resources are thin 
So it's not meant to be judgmental. It really is just a, a um, reflection of reality. And so yeah. I think um, in that sense, this is a good, this is a good step. Um, yeah. the, 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 the thing that might be a surprise is, and I think it's worth highlighting, is that these ratings, you know, the headline ratings are just an overall rating. And so you really do need to drill down to work out what they mean for you. And that's where the surprises might lie at the next level. If you find, you know, threats or vulnerabilities that you hadn't thought of, um, but but hopefully, you know, that's at the um, at a level of detail that should be earth shattering. I imagine that this would all become um, important when you're filling out your next annual compliance report. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it could well be yes, yeah. and and no doubt you would get extra brownie points if you happen to mention in that report that you'd reviewed your program because of the risk assessments that, that they, had, uh, they had put out. So talking about the compliance report, I was just wondering, you know, in the past when we've spoken about the annual compliance report, you, you, you spoke about the fact that organizations have to make sure that they are careful and that they report things accurately and honestly, because um, they could be working themselves into a trap if there's a mismatch between the things that they say and what the regulator finds later on down the track. Um, while obviously these assessments are not specific to an organization, is there anything that organizations should be wary of once since these assessments have been published? Is, should they be concerned that Austrap might be focusing on particular things? Oh, look, I think if Austrac did a uh, did a had a compliance visit, or you know for some reason saw an independent review report or something which suggested that these uh, risk assessments hadn't been reviewed and in, um, you know the feedback um, absorbed by an industry player, then that would be um, a red flag. So I think in that sense, it would it is important that. Um, that uh, reporting entities do um, take these reports on board and do take the time to really analyze them um, to, to get into, as I said, the um, criminal threat environment and the vulnerabilities of the sector and the consequences associated with, with those threats, um, which, which uh, they may have missed in their um, in their own risk assessment and to incorporate them and, and feed those through. So uh, if you can do that and you can show that you've you've done that benchmarking exercise, it doesn't mean you need to take Austrac's uh, views, of course, as um, wholly writ, but um, if I would, I would be looking at an if not, why not sort of approach. So use them as a benchmark. And if you don't think they're relevant, then, you know, that's fine, but you justify it in your documentation somewhere and and move on um, but you know as you say um, if these assessments do raise issues uh, that you haven't thought of then you know now is certainly a good time to be thinking of them and we're down to the last question um, looks like we've kept to time good us probably the first time ever um, do you have any, I guess, words of wisdom or just general advice for risk and compliance professionals, you know, operating in the AML space, you know, post-assessment, what they should be doing right now? Though I feel like you've started to answer that question already. 
Yeah, and this is where I could easily blow your your time budget, um, <laughs> but I'll try not to. So feel free to chop me off. But yeah. uh, I think probably there's three real things. Um, the first one is to make sure that you share this report with your board and top management. Um, if you're the AML compliance officer in your organisation, then you know help them exercise their responsibilities of oversight and to understand the money laundering, terrorism financing risks that your organisation faces. So, uh, of course, different boards have different needs and they may well need it um, to be digested and you know, have the relevant um, bits highlighted for them. But this is the kind of thing that should be of uh, interest to them in a, in a world they understand because it's, it's the risk world. And so, um, this is, as I said before, is a different kind of risk, but um, it is uh, still language they understand. So they should be comfortable. Secondly, um, I would, as I said, be reviewing your risk assessment against what Austrac um, has to say and looking for gaps. So using that benchmark approach, um, augmenting or re revising your risk assessment and working that through. Um, and I think thirdly, I'd be um, make, taking the opportunity to look at related risk assessments. So, uh, you know, there's there's the mutual banking risk assessment, which was done a year or so ago, which uh, had a, a medium outcome as a, an, a, an overall risk assessment for the industry, but it did acknowledge that there was high vulnerability. So, again, it's this is all just an application of basic concepts, which uh, people um, could find really helpful. I think another example in that category is the um, risk assessment that was done for the remittance industry. So many banking products have been done separately and they're worth looking at. That's really all I uh, have to say, I suppose, at a, at a high level. These are really important uh, documents and um, very, very useful in terms of making your AML risk assessment and your AML program live. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.